Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. I am thrilled today about who's sitting in front of me. It is my homegirl, fellow Jacksonian, Mary Miller, author of, amongst other things, Biloxi, her newest novel. Hi, Mary. Hey, Ebony. How are you? I'm better now that I get to chat with you for a little while and just be a, a full-on fangirl and nerd. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's good to have you. Good to have you home. I know. It's nice to be home right? for a little while. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I mean, once a Jacksonian, always a Jacksonian. We put we put our claws in you, right, yeah. no matter if you're born here or not. But you were born here. I was, yeah. And I'm back for the week just um, teaching at Millsaps and Fantastic. staying with my parents in the house that I grew up in. Full circle. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm back home. That's cool, though. I mean, being back home, you, you kind of see the city through. I think a different lens once you go away and you come back. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, it's always good to come home. I still have, um, I still keep up with my old high school girlfriends and we go out to dinner. Which high school? Jackson Prep. Okay, I went to Murrah, so I won't hold it. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I had a lot of friends at Murrah. Well, yeah, naturally. I had a lot of friends at Prep, so yeah, (laughs) that makes sense. That's cool. Well, maybe one day we'll get a book called Jackson, since we've got one called Biloxi. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, Jackson, aren't there Jacksons in like every state, whereas Biloxi is so specific. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And That's Tennessee, true. you know, what was the Johnny Cash That's song? And true. We never, I feel like I never know whether it was Tennessee or Mississippi. I, I think I'm just like so arrogant about Jackson being the capital of Mississippi yeah. that I just say it and stop before yeah. I get to state. And people it's the are like, one and only. Jackson where? I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. The Jackson. So you are not only a Jacksonian, but like a quintessential daughter of Mississippi. You attended the University of Southern Mississippi, USM. And you did a fellowship at Ole Miss. I did. I also got my undergrad at Mississippi State. I got um, a master's degree at Southern and you every, hit all of the. I mean, you, te- I have. you teach at the W. I teach at the W. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so I've hit listen. them all. Um, I still, I, there's still a few more, but yeah, yeah, I everybody in my family, both of my parents and all of my siblings went to Ole Miss, and I said I'll never go to Ole Miss. I'll I never know. go anywhere Hotty near tatty. Oxford. And then yeah, I ended up teaching there, and now I live there. That's cool though. I, I yeah, I did graduate my graduate degree, my doctorate at Ole Miss. So oh, okay, yeah, I've got some hotty toddy roots. Yeah. Yeah, and I know all of the great folks that you've probably worked with during your Grisham writer in residency. I've got a lot of friends there. It's a nice town. It's a a wonderful department and a great space to write in. It is a great space to write in. Yeah, and for inspiration, there's a lot of fodder walking around the square. (laughs) I know, right by my house every time I walk my dog. We'll go by the cemetery where, you know, Barry Hanna and Faulkner yeah, buried. Right. And, yeah, I pass that every day. And, Pour out and a little of, exactly. liquor for Faulkner. Usually when I'm walking my dog, I don't have liquor on me. How is but- that possible? Are you truly from Mississippi? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So speaking of inspiration, Biloxi is such an, a fascinating text in terms of, like, who's telling the story and where the story goes. It's completely unexpected, I think, at every turn. But talk to me about your inspiration for 
this novel? Because, I mean, it's, yeah. it's got some beautiful quirks. It is quirky. Um, I wrote this novel while I was briefly living on the coast. I was yeah. actually living in Gulfport at the time. Wow. And it was fall of 2016 and sort of right before the election. And I just mm. I didn't have a, a big community down there. I didn't have many friends. Um, I had some relatives and, and some friends, but I just I felt a little disconnected mm-hmm. from from the world around me. And I somehow found this character, Lewis McDonald Jr., who just showed up and wanted to tell this story. And he was also feeling isolated and kind of, mm. you know, removed from the world around him. And I think we had a lot in common in that way. That's so fascinating. You know, oftentimes, and I don't know if this is your experience, when I mention to people that I'm from Mississippi, then they start to name like the one thing they know about Mississippi. Yeah. Like, oh, do you know my cousin who lives in Greenwood? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, no, I don't. It's like, so I'll tell I've never been to Saltillo. And so it's interesting that you talk about feeling isolated and, you know, maybe even alone in a different part of Mississippi than you've ever lived in before or you're familiar with. I think it speaks to the state's sort of heterogeneity, right, that we have this vast diversity. Yeah, it for sure is. I mean, you know, the regions of Mississippi, like the Delta mm. and the coast and, you know, the northern hill country, and they're all very, very different. Very different. And even though, you know, I kind of grew up, my mom's sister and um, her brother live on the coast, and I grew up going down there for Easter and stuff, and mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. thought it was a really interesting part of yeah. Mississippi because it's so different and also so lovely in, in a lot of ways. You know, they were... It was just, I remember just, you know, sitting in somebody's living room. People would walk in and out. Nobody ever locks their door. Right. They were like, are we, are we, who's making the Bloody Marys? It's like you know, screen it was, doors, too. They're not even like yeah. actual doors. It's like you can feel the ocean breeze. I know. Yeah. It just felt so um, welcoming and, and um, just love seeing so much water. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. It's still Mississippi. And I, yes. and I, I love that uh, your book takes place in a space that just tells one of our many different stories yeah, about thanks. location, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously, you've got your character stories, but it also, I think, in stories that are set in the state, that gives another glimmer, or a glimpse, a glimpse rather, into the state's identity. Yeah, I think about a lot of my friends in Mississippi are writers, and mm-hmm. um, it's. I rarely read something set on the coast. I don't know if you that's know, true. Not not as frequently, mm-hmm. and I do. Um, yeah, I enjoyed writing about all. Jasmine of, Ward does. You know. Yeah. Probably the most that I've read mm-hmm. in like my reading life of uh, you know narrative set in that part of the state. Yeah. And it feels different. Yeah, it does. And I'm also thinking now. Um, Frederick Barthelme, who mm-hmm. taught mm-hmm. in Mississippi for many years and started the program at Southern, right. um, he wrote a lot of stuff that was set on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and one of his novels is called Waveland. And I always kind of, um, I'm sure it's pronounced Waveland and not Waveland. Wait, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. I'm not even sure. Somebody's going to call it. <laughs> I'm going to put a yeah. Mississippi twang on it. So. <laughs> but I always thought, oh, that's a good title. I wish mm-hmm. I'd gotten that one first. Um, but yeah. But no. Lexi's just, I mean, it's just as intriguing because I think... There may be something to be said, too, about the Mississippi Coast's identity post-Katrina. Yeah. Right? And I I think some folks came into the realization that, oh, this is part of Mississippi, too. I mean, part of the coast, I think, gets co-opted by Louisiana or, you know. Yeah. 
sort of adjoining spaces, but, you know, we kind of were able to reclaim this space through trauma. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a very different place than it was before. Mm-hmm. And naturally, I remember hearing, you know, Pun growing intended. up just about Camille, you know, Camille. Right. I heard about Camille all my all life. All my life. Was that 74? 75. I feel like it was in the 60s, but oh, no, I don't gosh. even know. And now um, all of our social studies teachers are Oh gosh, like, <laughs> I know. But disappointed, but yes, I grew up hearing about Camille as well. Yeah, and my aunt's house withstood Camille. It's on Highway 90 mm-hmm. and you know, after Katrina it was just a slab and they were God. just digging through the rubble like right. so many other families yeah. and Warzone. didn't rebuild, you know, a lot of people were older who'd mm-hmm. lived there forever and That's chose right. not to rebuild. And yeah, who can blame them? No, um, I mean they, they, yeah, it's enough. It's a, it's it's so much to deal with. So you talk about Lewis McDonald Jr., which the name is even so intricate, <laughs> right? Like I, this is an actual person. This is not a fictional character. Lewis McDonald Jr. kind of creeping into your mind, or you you met him in this time where you felt as isolated as the character is written to be. Uh, what were you reading at the time that, and not necessarily influenced his creation, but just what were you reading? What do you remember reading at the time? I've thought a lot about this. And I mean, I go through phases where I'll read just voraciously or yeah. I won't be reading much at all or I'll be rereading books that I love. Yes. And I think like that what? was in so some What's of the our, books I the <laughs> some of the books I reread. I just recently reread Donna Tartt's The Secret History. Nice. And that was this one says of, so much um, about who you are, <laughs> like uh, what you choose to reread. I know. And um, what else? I reread the movie Goer by Walker Percy a Stop good bit. It. That was Do you really? Mm-hmm. We got to talk about that one, girl. <laughs> I mean, that is such a haunting, disturbing book for me. I love that book. Yeah, and I don't know that I love it, but yeah, yeah you know, I'm I'm fascinated about the the servant employer relationships in the mm-hmm. movie Goer, and so when I read it, I, I don't know. I have a bit of contempt for. It. Well, I just Percy history in Mississippi. too. Yeah. And I think when I think about that book and when I read it, it's just so atmospheric. That's true. You know, and I I mostly get caught up in just New Orleans and walking around New Orleans. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So when I think of it, I can't even like at this point recall all of the plot lines. I just the atmosphere comes to me, I think. That's so fair because the moviegoer is really about like that environment and that neighborhood in New Orleans through that yeah. perspective. So, no, you're right about that. And um, what else do I reread? Let's see. Um, I love Willie Vlaughton, and his mm-hmm. favorite of mine is The Motel Life. And it's a really quick read. Yeah, I like, yeah. you know, The Secret History is a commitment, and even rereading <laughs> it is a huge commitment. But I like a good short novel that, yeah. you know, you can read in Likewise. an afternoon mm-hmm. and – um yeah. You just feel refreshed. Yeah, and just and be absorbed pick up on by things it. that you miss the first 10 times you read it. Exactly, like a great love movie. That. Yes. You know? I love that. So we both grew up in the same area, which I just get excited to talk to folks who have that sort of grounding and, you know, perspective. But what did you grow up reading? I mean, naturally, we grew up hearing about Richard Wright and Eudora Welty, Margaret Walker. But who were you yeah. reading growing up that sort of stuck with you that may have even contributed to your your writer identity or becoming a writer? 
I I was not a big reader growing up. I I say that and it's not totally true, but I yeah. did not enjoy reading in school much. I feel like There we go. You know, and you can still become a writer, kids well, <laughs> who are not listening to this podcast. Well, you know, I feel like they like Robert Frost, they teach you the same four yeah, poems. Same poems. Whereas in graduate yeah. school I had to read an entire book of Frost mm-hmm. and I grew to love him. Mm-hmm. But in you know, in high Those school canonical and, pieces you know, you're just reading the same yeah. stuff over and over. This is true. And it's often like the most sort of inoffensive kind of like you know selective like yeah. this is what you should know about this person's canon when they are yes. such rich, you know writers and identities and more so much more complicated oh gosh yes and so i didn't i didn't love reading in school i reread some of those books now and like them so much better (laughs) but um yeah like which ones and we we may agree on this i'm thinking of like my antonia and Mm. a separate piece and i mean i'm sure a separate piece but yeah i enjoy them i okay you know what i did love that one back then (laughs) but like my antonia when you're trying to Mm -hmm. get mississippi kids to you know somehow transport themselves to a Nebraska farm or whatever. And and I I don't remember when it's, but you know, it's, um, I just felt like I couldn't relate to it very much or it didn't capture, things didn't capture my experience. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I I found myself reading like horror novels. Like cultural (laughs) identity. I didn't relate to many of the texts that are selected for, um, you know, secondary education. There are no characters who look like me who share yeah. a cultural background. And if they do look like me, I mean, they were um, in these really destitute situations mm-hmm. because of our society's, you know, um, horrific past. And so it was yeah. just really hard. I understand that to yeah. really get into those narratives. I mean, I think like find it, yourself. Yeah. Like Mississippi kids, um, you know, we just we just didn't seem to be there. It's like, here's a another white northeasterner <laughs> yeah, who li- like you where know, the red fern grows um, like, can, can get it, and I don't so relate. yeah and you know most of the narrators are obviously going to be men yeah. um but anyway i i found myself just reading stephen king books oh, for the most part <laughs> yeah alone in my room at night Mary, horrifying what? myself right. like i know yourself to sleep. well i was i was so scared of the dark too i don't know if this that's if hilarious. i was scared of the dark dark before or like <laughs> which like, came first instituted um, that I, I am imagining you like a 12 year old mary with a flashlight like under the covers torturing myself exactly yeah yeah reading it <laughs> trial by fire <laughs> um that, this is hilarious so but i'm interested you, you mentioned and i completely agree that a lot of the texts that we were encouraged to read growing up and even now when i teach mm-hmm. american literature i find myself having to deviate from what's canonical but also yeah. In, you know, expose my students to these texts that they're going to have to know, right? Sure. To say that they've got gotten these um, degrees in English, but most of the narration, male voices, mm-hmm. and typically, you know, they're white male voices. And so, I'm curious about your choice to to voice Lewis McDonald Jr. in Biloxi. You know, where does that choice come from, and what's new yeah. about kind of how he tells his story? I feel like I didn't feel like it was a choice. I'd never uh. written, written anything from a man's perspective before or from mm-hmm. a boy's. I just um, 
and didn't intend to really. I okay. mean, of course, like I do try to push myself to, you know, to explore and to do things other sure. than. But, sure. but yeah, no, Lewis just, he just kind of came to me. I love and that he's Lewis. <laughs> like, he's your <laughs> uncle. Right? Oh, God. I know. Oh, and I think of the Lewises I've known in the past. <laughs> They're like all reading into this. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, no, I, di- I didn't feel like I had much of a choice with him. He came to yeah. me and immediately wanted that. to tell the story. And I thought like, he was funny. Up. Which you know? sounds very much like my uncle's, like, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to talk now and you're just going to. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I, I was curious about it in engaging the book, like thinking that this is such an authentic uh, character. And, you know, where is Mary pulling this, mm. you know, these details from and this personality? It's just a fascinating, I think, connection between Thank the you. author and the protagonist. Yeah, and I, I definitely know some people who were yeah. similar to Lewis down here. You know, some yeah. curmudgeonly old white men. <laughs> you know, curmudgeonly. Yes. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's something else, and yeah, he gets himself into some situations. But yeah, he he. You know, I feel like Lewis is very much his own person, but mm-hmm. but I also yeah know some Lewises. Which is fair. You know, when you say you, we know these curmudgeonly like old men, but they we still you still acknowledge his humanity in the way you yeah. create his character that, you I know, hope so. he, he's not this uh, monolith. Yeah, no, so I he's hope does some unexpected things made him complicated yeah, no spoiler and, alerts, and real. But... <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I, I truly really have a lot of compassion and love for him and think That's he's important. so funny. Yeah. And um, he just entertained me. Which I think is, I mean, the possibility for the reader is that we can feel compassion for someone who is ostensibly completely different from who we are or how we identify. I I mean, there's value. That's one of, I think, the valuable aspects to literature. And he often, you know, doesn't make himself... um, vulnerable or mm-hmm. or really even worth identifying with. You know, he does a lot of offensive and sort yeah, of things yeah. and gets himself into trouble, but but yeah, I also see deeper than, you know, just his actions and his yeah. um yeah. There's there's value there. So I'm thinking about this book obviously set in our home state and you've got lots more writing to do and you've done lots of writing before this. Do you feel as a Southern writer and I'm thinking now, like I'm drawing on um, conversations and interviews that I've read about Richard Ford specifically, who Mm -hmm. kind of prides himself in not being a Southern writer, even though he's from Mm -hmm. Jackson, he's our homeboy. So I wonder if you feel sort of drawn to writing Southern stories um, exclusively, if if, if that's important to you or if you feel that like that's the lane that you abide in. Yeah, I mean, Richard Ford, he got out early, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I mean but not as know, a child, you know. Yeah, he, yeah, I know he graduated high school right. with, with my cousin. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Such a small world. It is a small world. But, you know, I, I've only lived in the South, really. Mm-hmm. I've only lived in Mississippi, basically. I went to the University of Texas for a few years and lived in Austin. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess... 
Austin? I mean, is, Texas it's, is is its own entity. It is. Yeah, it's like um, the Southwest, but it's not. Yeah. You know. It's its own thing. Which don't tell anybody. But, from <laughs> <laughs> um, well, East Texas is super deep south. That's you true. Know? That's true. And yeah. It's such a huge state. It's so I mean, big. it's but got yeah, compartments of Southern. It does have compartments. Um, but yeah, I think I think the answer is that when you only know one thing, yeah, you, you, know, you know, I don't know. What do I go visit New York for a week and then try to write a story <laughs> set in New York? Yeah. They've got plenty of those, That's you know, true. plenty of their own writers. No, I think I'll always um, and even if I moved away, I think I'd always want to write about home and this place that, you know, that I know and love so well. Write about home. I really love that. That yeah. phrase, and, and one of the things I wanted to ask is, and that I've asked other Mississippi writers, perhaps friends of yours, like Kiese mm-hmm. Lehman and yeah. Angie Thomas, Jessmine Ward, what keeps them here? Because I mean, you guys are really sort of changing the literary game with what you're producing, and you have the opportunities, I'm certain, to be in other places. But what keeps you here? Yeah, I think, well, there's, you know, twofold answer. One's practical, like my husband has a good job here. Nice. Yeah. I mean, um, we've got to pay the bills. But, but yeah, I think so many of us have, have really made a real choice to stay here and choice. to live here. And yeah. it's certainly a choice. Yeah. I always thought, you know, I'll go back to Austin. I'll kind of, you know, do this Grisham writer in residence in Oxford and then, mm-hmm. and then go back there. And that's where I'll be. Um, but, there's something that just pulls you back here. There's something that keeps pulling yeah. me back here. And yeah, I used to say I wanted to escape, but I keep getting sucked back. And now at this point, it certainly is. It's, um, you know, I have agency. I could leave if I wanted right. to. But no, we choose to stay. And I'm so happy that so many others are choosing to stay. I, I agree. And I do think it means a lot. Um, I used to think, What's it matter if I just live here? You know, I'm not mm-hmm. doing – I'm not volunteering at all these places and making my community as strong mm-hmm. as it could be. And I thought of all the things I wasn't doing. But I think there's still a lot of value in being like, no, this is our home and this is where we're going to – you know, this is where we live. And This is where we choose to, yeah. to be and to, to grow. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, and you producing work out of this space – not only that, but you're teaching. And so, yeah. I mean, you kind of characterize it as, oh, I'm not participating in these community organizations. But I think being from a space and then making the choice to, um, and this is not a shameless plug for my own group, <laughs> <laughs> but making a choice to be an educator yeah. in a space that sort of formed you, I think um, adds value to how you can communicate with your pupils. I mean, they, I mean yeah, it's no, a different that's, message. That's... um. Yeah, I guess I didn't really think about that. And I think because the W is um, it's a low res MFA. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a lot of the students are from here, but a lot of them are from everywhere. And I don't go to campus that often. So Mm -hmm. I feel some disconnect Mm -hmm. there. Um, But, yeah, well, yeah, thank you for saying so, because I do feel like, yeah. To think about, I think maybe every three semesters or so I encounter a student who finds out I'm from Mississippi mm-hmm. and finds out not only am I from Mississippi, but I grew up in Jackson. And they're like, well, you know, really? And you're back here. Why? And so we get to have this drawn out conversation about choice yeah. um, for where you will sort of kind of forge your footprint. 
Um, yeah. for also, the is. food is great in Jackson. It's amazing. <laughs> um, it's amazing. One of my favorite things about coming home. They say the food's good in Oxford, and I'm like, no, no. Jackson's much better. I listen. I agree. And there's a, nothing against Oxford, so don't come after me, people. But, I mean, there's I think there's more variety here. I'm there's certainly a lot more variety. And Oxford's growing, but, I mean, yeah. there's a there's a Jackson culinary community that is it's, out of sight. It really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, in every sort of genre of food, too. I mean, mm-hmm. when people hear me say, oh, the food where I live is amazing, they are automatically thinking, like, deep fried everything yeah. and grits, which, hey— the grits and the deep fried goodness <laughs> are amazing. But, I mean, there are all sorts of international communities um, that are producing food here. And th- there's this vegan movement here, which I, I don't think. vegetarian and vegan yeah, food. Yeah, I mean, who who to thunk it? Yeah. <laughs> that that would be thriving. Sorry, it's it's lunchtime, and so I got a little distracted. I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, we're, we're really hungry. I don't know if you guys can, <laughs> can tell, but we're in a great place to be hungry. We so, are. Yeah. No, no worries. There, we'll figure it out. And speaking of that, though, what are the things that you need to produce that are specific to home? So, are, is there a certain drink? Are there certain dishes? Where do you write? Hmm. What's the setup for you producing a masterpiece like that? Oh, gosh. A masterful piece like Biloxi. Oh, gosh. Um, I, you know. I, I wish I worked harder and was a daily writer. <laughs> I'm I'm not. I'm more of a binge writer who just works on You're her just couch. Like bucking the system off together. Like oh, um, I didn't like reading growing up. Yeah. I, I'm not a disciplined writer, and I'm, I'm so really successful. not disciplined. What I guess what it mostly takes is I work from home. So mm-hmm. my dog stares at me all day. Just Pressure. like, what are He's you going like, to do for me? When are we going out? Can I get a bone? What's up? Um, do something about important. So yeah. You need like a hungry mutt staring at you. Okay, write it down, guys. Um, <laughs> Get a dog and starve it. Into- but it is a great way to take breaks, you know, when you're yeah. writing or you're My working. My children do hard. that for me. Yes. Yeah, they're just like mommy. Lunch. You have constant, yeah. Yeah. And who, they don't care what they I need to get care. done yeah. <laughs> at all. They're so cute. Thank you. Thank you. My best work yet. <laughs> Time will tell. So, what is. I often ask our Mississippi writers uh, on this program to describe what the state means to them. And you mentioned when you started out creating Lewis McDonald Jr. and writing Biloxi that it was close to the national election, which sort of sort of has shifted folks' thinking and understanding about this national space that we inhabit, you know, for better yeah. or for worse. So. And I think that it has affected Mississippi's um, identity as well mm-hmm. and the way that people conceptualize our state. So I'd like to ask Mississippi writers specifically what the state is to them, what the state means to you. Gosh, I feel like it, it's almost so broad. I should have I should have listened to this last question and see how everyone else answered it. Um, oh, I mean, the answers go all over the place. What I mean, it means so to me. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to even say because mm-hmm. it's it's everything to me, you know. Um, Which I think was someone else's answer. I, That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, like I said, I'm staying with my parents this week in the house that I've lived in since I was nine months old. That's A awesome. lot of our neighbors 
you know, there's still some of the neighbors there, and then some of their children have moved into the neighborhood as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it all just, um, it all just feels, um, like, you know, things change, and yet, you know. Like different and organic? You know? Is it kind of. Well, things change, but they don't ever change too much or it's mm. a very slow change in Mississippi like I said yeah. you know some, some neighbors <laughs> um, yeah have moved away or died, and then their kids come to live in the neighborhood you're like oh that's still so and so or yeah. you know um, I don't know it's just you know I still have friends that I see from when we were six years old and stuff and yeah I, I love it I mean it's sort of how I think of our state because I moved away for mm-hmm. about ten years and I came back and so whenever I um, and I still live in the vicinity of where I, I grew up my husband mm-hmm. and I whenever I pass something that changes like a store that's not there or someone's house changes color I'm like jarred <laughs> what's going on here yeah. you know did you get permission like what, <laughs> what are we gonna do that without house this? should always be blue exactly that's just it's natural color so there's that but then we have this um I think consistent hopefulness for progress yes and- certainly in Jackson Yes. Um, I mean, all I can say to that is yes. You know, <laughs> I mean, gosh, I, I hope for this state so much yeah. and would, you know, yesterday I took my high school students um, that I'm teaching this week and we went to the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum Fantastic. and I hadn't been before. And it's it's amazingly well it's done. It's a remarkable space. And we spent several hours there and um, just all sort of walked around by ourselves and took it in. Mm-hmm. And I thought... You know, I don't know, just to have, you know, all of these, to have that museum that is huge. And I think, you know, we kind of downplay things don't, you know, they change so slowly or they don't change at all. And, you know, not. But I mean, you see progress everywhere. And it's not gradual. Yeah. I mean, you know, like substantive, long lasting change. It's going to be gradual. Yeah. And. You know, I don't know. All we can do is try to have the hard conversations sometimes Mm -hmm. and um, try to keep looking ahead and moving ahead. And yeah. Yeah. And I I guess my hope, my prayer is that we're always willing to do that. And I see like our writers, your role being so integral to to grasping on to that, to embodying this eternal sort of hopefulness and being open to the shifts and movements that are necessary for us to be um, just a more positive society and environment as a state. Yeah. Right. So no pressure. We're (laughs) counting on you. (laughs) Um, Well, it's, you know, it's nice to hear that writers make a difference. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, again, we put our claws in you, so you can move uh, wherever you want, but you always belong to us. (laughs) Writers just sit around in their pajamas, like, you know, two days unshowered and and type on their laptop. So we don't always think about, you know. Again, you are shattering all of the, like, romanticized visions we have of writers, but I love that. that is kind of romantic. That's true. I mean, doesn't everyone want to? It's my ideal day. Yeah. That's for it's, sure. Yeah, Weekend. It's pretty nice. It's lovely. I think we all, especially my my students and probably yours as well, think that they are like below the bar of producing 
sound writing because they are in their pajamas unshowered for two days, like eating ramen and yeah. know, throwing some at the dog too. But it's like some of your yeah. favorite writers were so undisciplined. Well, and you hope too, you know, when you're writing something, you never really know if it'll work out. You never really know um, what the end end result will be, if, will if be. it will be published, if it will be, you yeah. know, something else you put in the drawer. And so it's always kind of a risk. And that's and, ongoing. I mean, yeah. there's still writers who have long, gone, long been gone oh, and sure. their works are now, their unpublished manuscripts are now being drawn out and published. So. Oh, gosh, I don't want that there to happen There we go. Just, to me. just you wait. No. <laughs> I'm going to like break my Burn laptop them. when I leave. <laughs> it's all in the cloud. <laughs> We're going to no. see it. <laughs> Mary, thank you so much for coming home. Thank you. And chatting with me for a little bit. And we know you're always around, and we want to thank you for that. And if you haven't checked it out, uh, check out Biloxi and some of Mary's other titles. They're remarkable and a true representation of the literary genius that is homegrown right here in Mississippi. We want to thank Mary Miller for joining us today. Be sure to visit your local bookstore to purchase her works and keep up with her online. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Mm-hmm.